Thank you, Ida. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. So this year, we have been going through the story of the Bible as a church. And this year, our journey through the Bible, or this week, our journey through the Bible brought us to the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is a collection of wise teachings, mostly written by King Solomon, the wisest king in Israel's history. And Proverbs is all about how to practically navigate and properly navigate day-to-day life. And our world today is obsessed with finding practical tips for navigating day-to-day life. And we have this awesome thing called the internet to help us do it. Isn't that great? You know, if you need to figure out a recipe or fashion advice or how to plan a wedding, we have Pinterest. If you have normal everyday household items and you want to find new things that you can do with those items, we have Lifehacker. And if you have household chores that need to be done and you have no idea how to do them, you can always look up an instructional video on YouTube. It's great, isn't it? So much information right at our fingertips. And in light of the practical need for knowledge and skill in living that we have in today's world and the abundant information available to us on the internet, it can maybe feel easy to start feeling like the Bible could be a little bit outdated. Because, you know, people a a couple thousand years ago might have needed a book like this to teach them how to navigate life, but we have Pinterest and YouTube, and they're so helpful and more entertaining than a book, right? And and if we're being honest, we have to admit there are a lot of questions we face in day-to-day life that we can't turn to the Bible for a direct answer for them because it just doesn't tell us what to do. Like if, if you're in secondary school, we have a few secondary school students here right now. Is there anywhere in the Bible that you can turn that will tell you here are the universities that you should apply to when you want to go to university? There's not. There's no verse that says, like, you must apply to Harvard, Queens, and Cambridge. Wouldn't life be so much easier if there was? But there's not. Or there's no verse, if you're single, that says, you must date Casey, not Jordan. Again, life would be so much more simple if if God had just put some of these verses in the Bible to give us a little more guidance in day-to-day life. Or if you're looking for a job, there's not a verse that says you must take a job in marketing at company A instead of sales at company B. Or there's no verse that says, you know, now is a season where you just need to take a job that will pay the bills, even if it's something that's not satisfying, even if it's something you don't really enjoy, you just need to do something to pay the bills versus you need to wait one more week and then you'll land your dream job. Dream job. There's no verse in the Bible that's going to tell us the specific answers to these specific questions we have in day-to-day life. And, And some people assume that because the Bible doesn't include these specific answers to such big questions in life, it must be irrelevant to life today. But that's not true. Biblically, all of these questions fall under the category of wisdom. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge and skill for proper living. It's a huge focus of the Bible's teaching. The entire book of Proverbs in the Bible is is directly aimed at teaching wisdom. It's a collection of wise statements that Solomon pulled together to instruct other people on how to live wisely. 
So today we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1 and chapter 4, and we're going to see what they have to teach us about how to live wisely. And what we're going to see is they're teaching us to get wisdom because it gives life. Get wisdom because it gives life. And we're going to look at three questions. What is wisdom? How do we get it? And what does it do? All right, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are concerned about these questions of day-to-day life that stress us out so much. Even though you don't give us the specific answers to these questions word for word in your Bible, God, that you care about them and you want us to make good choices. And so I pray that you would guide us and instruct us today through your word so that we can have knowledge and skill for living properly. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first big question, what is wisdom? And like I said, wisdom, it's knowledge and skill for living properly. The book of Proverbs, it uses a bunch of different words to refer to wisdom, and it uses them more or less interchangeably. So in today's passages, we see it refer to wisdom, instruction, understanding, prudence, knowledge, discretion, and insight. And each of these words has a a slightly different specific nuance of what it means to live wisely. But the goal in using all these different words isn't necessarily to contrast them to one another, but rather to use them to build a more holistic picture of what true wisdom is. It's kind of like if you're describing being online. What do you do when you're online? You could search for stuff, you could stream stuff, you can chat, you can surf, you can play. Each of these actions, they're unique and distinct, but if you're describing being online, it it's, gives a bigger, fuller picture of what it means to be online if you use these words instead of just saying, I was online. It's sort of flat and boring and dull, but then if you're talking about streaming and surfing and chatting and playing, and it, it builds out the picture a little bit and gives you this more holistic image of it. And, and a lot of them aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Doing one often includes doing one or more of the others at the same time. And so it builds out the picture to give a fuller, more 3D picture of what it looks like to do that activity. And in a similar way, the wisdom presented in the book of Proverbs involves this holistic understanding of the world and how it works. But wisdom doesn't just stop with understanding and knowledge. Wisdom, true wisdom, involves pairing that knowledge with skill to respond properly to the situations we face in life. It's taking that knowledge and using it to live properly. So wisdom is a right understanding of the world that leads to right action and right living in the world. And I want to ask you, when you think of a right understanding of the world, what comes to mind? What does it mean to understand the world rightly? Maybe some people think of scientific theories that explain how the world works. Maybe some people think that the key to understanding the world is is understanding business and investment strategies. Maybe for some people that means just following Elon Musk on Twitter and buying and selling whatever stocks he tells you to buy and sell. Maybe for some people a right understanding of the world involves a, a deep understanding of human psychology. Well, biblically, understanding science and business and human psychology, they're all categories of wisdom, but none of them is ultimate wisdom. Biblically, because we live in God's world, there's a core reality that we have to deal with if we want to have this deep, true wisdom that the Bible is offering us. 
And the core reality that we have to deal with and understand is God. Because according to the Bible, this is God's world. God made the world, God sustains the world, God rules the world, God orders the world, God governs the world. And therefore, the reality of his existence is the most core truth that we must know and understand if we want to live wisely. And we see this actually in today's passage in Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you wanna live properly, it starts with knowing God, knowing who he is and, and having a proper relationship with him. And that might seem counterintuitive because our culture teaches us God is basically the most impractical person there is. Right? Like if we want to understand how the world works and how to live properly in the world, why focus on someone who's not even part of this world? It just doesn't seem practical, but that's a false perspective. Because if God is the one who made the world, if God is the one who rules the world, if God sustains and governs the world, then he's the one who gives the world its design. He's the one who knows how the world works best. And by knowing him more deeply, we're gonna understand the world he made more accurately. I don't know how many of you have, have studied the history of science, and it may seem ironic because of how much they're pitted against one another in today's world. But the reason that, that the Renaissance and the Enlightenment were able to be periods of such great scientific advancement and discovery is because the people in those times understood the character and nature of the God of the Bible. They looked at the Bible and they said, this, the God that the Bible shows us is a God of order and stability. And, and up until Christianity became widespread, science had never been possible because everyone believed that the world was inherently chaotic. And in chaos, you can't find repeatable patterns and repeatable patterns are necessary in order to do scientific research and make scientific discoveries. But the, the people during this period, they realized if God is a God of order and stability and he made the world, then some type of order and stability is gonna be hardwired into the world that God made. There are gonna be repeatable patterns because that lines up with the character and nature of who God is. And it was having that understanding of the character and nature of God that actually made science possible. Knowing God as the most fundamental reality equips us to understand and interact with his world properly as well. And understanding that wisdom's most foundational element is God reframes how we see wisdom. It takes the world's understanding of wisdom and flips it on its head. Because the reality of God is the core understanding necessary for true wisdom, then any understanding of the world that doesn't account for God's reality is fatally, fatally flawed from the start. Maybe we can think of it this way. Think of two businessmen. One of them is known for his efficiency. He gets things done. And if someone at his office or someone outside his office is getting in the way of him getting things done, he's just gonna roll right over them and, and get them out of the way so he can get things done. The second person is known for patience and kindness. Now, according to the world's standards, which of these men is more wise, the efficient one or the patient one? Efficient, no question, right? He knows how to maximize profits. He knows how to keep the shareholders happy. He is a wise man. But if God is the most fundamental reality in the world, then a truly wise person is gonna treat others 
in a way that reflects their God-given value. It takes, God's reality takes the world's wisdom and just flips it on its head. There's more wisdom in a patience that loves and values others than in an efficiency that just bowls them over and uses them as means to an end. And biblically, true wisdom and knowledge, it's skill for living properly, but not just for living properly, living properly in light of the reality of who God is. And it reframes all of life, right? Like in parenting, all of us as parents are teaching our kids what to see as true wisdom, what to see as truly real and valuable in the world. And again, the world has a criteria that it calls us to, to use as our standard for success. The world says, basically, the university you get into is the, the standard for grading or judging how successful your childhood was. If you get into a top university, you've had a good childhood. If you don't get into a top university, you've failed to have a good childhood. And yet, that's such a shallow and short-sighted perspective on the world because it ignores things like the character that we're developing, whether we're actually being positive members of society and contributing to making the world a better place. The world's perspective is, is so short-sighted, but God gives us a wider, broader perspective. And so if you're a parent, I encourage you, think about what are you teaching your kids is true wisdom? What are you teaching your kids is truly valuable? And what does it take to show your kids that God is the most valuable, the most true, the ultimate reality in, in your life and to encourage that in their lives as well. So wisdom, it's knowledge and skill for living properly. That's what wisdom is. But the next question, how do we get it? Wisdom, we can see in Proverbs, wisdom is valuable, it's important, it helps us live well. If that's the case, how do we get it? How do we make it ours? Are we born with it? Do we find it by searching inside of ourselves for unlocking some hidden potential inside us? Well, throughout the book of Proverbs, there are several characters who pop up who each have different relationships with wisdom. And we can see four of them in our passages today. And I'm just going to give you a brief overview of who they are. On this end of the spectrum, we have the fool. The fool is someone who's been exposed to wisdom. He's had opportunities to learn wisdom. He said, no, I'm not interested. And he's done this repeatedly over time so that he's just stuck in his ways. The book of Proverbs looks at the fool and basically says he's beyond hope. He's a lost cause. In contrast to the fool is the wise. The wise person has been exposed to the teaching of wisdom and listened and incorporated it into his or her life and now is living out the realities they've been taught as wise and is living properly because they've understood and incorporated wisdom into their life. And then the last two, they're distinct, but they have a lot of overlap with one another, and they sort of fall in the middle between the fool and the wise. And they are the primary target audiences of the book of Proverbs. And they are the youth and the simple. Now, the youth is someone who, by definition, is young and inexperienced in the ways of wisdom. The Hebrew word youth, it can refer to anyone from a newborn baby to a teenager, a late teenager. So I have a five-week-old baby who's at home right now. He would be incorporated under this umbrella of youth. And then our row of high school students in the back would also be incorporated under this umbrella of youth. And the youth, according to Proverbs, has the opportunity to gain wisdom, but doesn't have wisdom yet. 
The youth is born without wisdom, but they're not stuck that way like the fool. They have an opportunity to change their circumstances. And we see this in Proverbs chapter four. The the whole chapter is specifically addressed to youth with the goal of teaching them wisdom. In contrast, if you look at the fool, never once in the book of Proverbs is the fool told, pay attention and learn learn wisdom because they're seen as a lost cause. The youth lacks wisdom like the fool, but isn't a lost cause. There's still hope for them. They can still learn wisdom. But the danger is, that the natural default setting of the youth is to tend towards folly. When I was younger, I would sometimes ride in cars with people, and occasionally someone would have their alignment off in their car. And so normally, if you're driving down a straight stretch of road, you take your hands off the wheel and the car just keeps going straight. But occasionally, if your alignment off, you take your hands off the wheel and the car just starts veering to the right a little bit. Anyone ever been in a car like that? Yeah, and here's the thing. As long as your, your hands are on the wheel and you stay vigilant about steering and staying on the road, it's not a big deal, it's fine. You can, you can drive the car properly, you can stay on the road. But the moment you take your hands off the wheel, you're in trouble because the car is just gonna drift off the road all on its own. And I think that's sort of like the picture of the youth in Proverbs, that, that without instruction from caring parents and wise adults who are gonna keep their hands on the wheel and keep pointing you in this, this path towards life, the natural tendency of youth is just veer off the road and crash into a ditch and make a mess. And so, and, and that's biblically, the book of Proverbs is saying that is hardwired into all of us from birth. That natural tendency to drift into a ditch and crash. And what we need, all of us, from birth is people, older, wiser people to come around us and instruct us and teach us. And we need God's word to show us this is the path towards life and to just keep hands on the wheel, steering us in the right direction. And that's the youth. The simple, again, quite similar to the youth. The big difference is that the simple doesn't have that age restriction. The simple person lacks wisdom, but could be any, any age, but isn't as set in their ways as the fool. There's still hope for them. There's still calls for them to listen and pay attention and learn. The simple, in many ways, is naive. The simple is the type of person who would get an email from a Nigerian prince asking for money and wouldn't stop to think twice that maybe this person is out to harm me rather than help me and just wire them the money. That's the simple, okay? And so the youth and the simple are the the primary target audience of the book of Proverbs. And according to the book of Proverbs, all of us start out our lives as simple youth. And then we end up on a trajectory. Depending on whether we are taught wisdom and listen to the teaching that we get, we either move towards becoming wise or move towards becoming fools. But we're not born with wisdom. We're born lacking wisdom and and our natural default tendency from birth without outside instruction and guidance is to veer towards folly. And the repeated emphasis throughout the book of Proverbs is that in order to gain wisdom, we must be taught wisdom by others who have more wisdom than we do. We see it in chapter one. Solomon says his goal in collecting these teachings is to instruct others in wisdom because we need instruction if we're gonna be wise. And we see it in chapter four. Solomon repeatedly calls his sons, pay attention to my instruction because you need it if you're gonna live properly. And this is part of why the role of parents is so important in their kids' lives. 
Parents, do you realize that you have been entrusted by God to be your kid's primary teacher in how to live a wise life? As a, a father of two now, that's a little bit scary. Parents are the, the ones entrusted by God to be the primary wisdom teachers in their kids' lives. Does that feel scary and overwhelming to you? Do you feel equipped to be your kid's wisdom teacher? If not, I'd love to talk to you after service and just chat about ways that we as a church can help equip our parents to be better in this role because it's so important because all of our kids are naturally born with this tendency to veer off the road and crash into a ditch on the side of folly. If our kids are going to learn to live properly, we need to be parents who are intentionally instructing our kids and teaching them wisdom, teaching them to know this core fundamental reality of God and his existence and his love for them and his character so that they can live properly in light of who he is. And the fact that we need to be taught wisdom, it also means wisdom doesn't come from searching ourselves. Wisdom comes from, from outside of us. It comes from submitting ourselves to wise instruction and allowing our perspective to be reshaped by true wisdom. And again, we naturally don't want this. The default setting of our hearts is to be drawn to things that distract from wisdom rather than things that deepen wisdom. My guess is that the vast majority of us, me included, if we had two free hours in the evening, would probably tend to choose to use that time watching Netflix than reading the Bible and praying. Is that accurate? You don't have to nod your head or say it. I see a couple people nodding. I, I know that that's true for enough of us, right? And I'm not saying Netflix is bad. I enjoy Netflix. But I also think Netflix typically doesn't deepen our wisdom. The steering wheels of all of our hearts, they naturally pull us off the road and towards a ditch that we're going to crash into unless we resist its pull. It's not just teens and kids that struggle with this tendency. It's all of us. If we're going to live wise lives, we need instructions from outside of us. And we all have a tendency to see other things as more valuable and more desirable than the pursuit of wisdom. Which means for many of us, if we're going to learn and grow in wisdom, we need a new perspective on wisdom. And so to hopefully help us in our development of that perspective, let's look at our third question. What does wisdom do? Now in this passage in Proverbs 4 that we're looking at today, it makes some big claims about what wisdom does for those who have it. Now, and, and that's intentional. Remember, this is a father sitting down with his children, trying to teach them about wisdom. And as any parents know, if you try to sit down with your kids and just teach them all the wisdom that you've learned throughout your, their, your life, what happens? Dad, come on. Do we really need to know this? This is like from forever ago when the cavemen lived. That's when you were a kid, right? Kids just naturally don't want to listen to the wise advice that their parents have to teach them. And so this father, he wants his kids to learn wise, to live wisely, but he doesn't just jump in and say, here are all the things you need to know in order to live properly. No, he knows if he just sits down and gives them a lecture, they're going to fall asleep. So before he jumps in and starts telling them everything involved in living wisely, he wants to first give them a hunger for wisdom. He's trying to give them a desire to get wisdom for themselves. So rather than just saying, here are all the things you need to do, he starts out by saying, here are the benefits of wisdom. Here are the things that wisdom will do for you if you get it. And as you look through the pa passage, there's some big stuff here. Verse four, you hold fast to my words and keep my commandments, you will live. Wisdom gives life. Verse six, if you cling to and love wisdom, she will keep you and guard you. 
Verse eight, you prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. And then verse nine tells you how wisdom will do that. She'll place on your head a graceful garland and bestow on you a beautiful crown. I don't know if you realize this. I think in our world today, we typically tend to think of wisdom as an idea or a set of ideas. But the actions that this passage attributes to wisdom are actions that no idea can accomplish. An idea cannot give you life. An idea cannot keep you and guard you. If someone's swinging a punch at your face, you can't just think it away. You know what's going to happen if you try to think away a punch to the face? You're going to end up on the ground in a lot of pain because an idea cannot keep you and guard you. An idea cannot exalt you. You know, maybe you could come up with a great idea that changes the world and get exalted because of that, but it's not the idea itself that's exalting you. It's people who have been impacted by the practical effects of that idea that are exalting you. The idea itself doesn't have the power to do that. And yet here in Proverbs chapter four, Solomon says, wisdom does all these things. Wisdom gives life. Wisdom keeps you and guards you. Wisdom exalts you and honors you. So what's going on here? Well, I think if we zoom out and look at wisdom from the whole perspective of the Bible, there's something going on here. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us about wisdom. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, that Christ, Jesus, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then a few verses later, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, says Jesus became to us wisdom from God. So in this passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom from God. And, and here's the thing, an idea cannot give you life, cannot keep you and guard you, cannot exalt you and honor you, but a person can. And in its fullest expression, wisdom isn't merely an idea. It's a person, Jesus. Jesus is God in human flesh. He came and lived on the earth, being the only person in human history to live his entire life properly aware of God's reality and presence and power. And he lived out an example for us of what it means and looks like to live with proper wisdom. And then you know what happened? He got murdered. He got murdered because foolish humanity could not bear his wisdom. He got murdered because everyone around him had hearts that were pulling them into a ditch. And he was trying to point them back to that road that leads to life. And they got tired of it. And they said, we're done with you. And so they killed him to get him out of the way. But in his death, the Bible tells us that he pays the price for our foolishness. He pays the price for our rejection of wisdom. He pays the price for our refusal to live life aware of God's reality and presence and power. And in his death and resurrection, he opens the door for us to have a new relationship with God. He opens the door to once again, see and know God so that we can live with that proper perspective of the world and live wisely. Which means the path to finding true wisdom starts by trusting in Jesus and having a relationship with him. If we want to live wisely in the world, the first step is to know and trust and love Jesus. Now, does this mean that once we trust in Jesus, we'll automatically have all the right answers to all the difficult questions in life, know where to go to university and who to date and what job to take? No. Trusting in Jesus doesn't magically give you the answers about what to do for school or relationships or your job or anything else important in life. But 
the deeper we grow in our relationship with him, the more we'll be able to see and interpret the world through his perspective. I mean, if you think about it, that's how any relationship works. Think about marriage. So sometimes I'll go to the grocery store and as I'm getting ready to go out the door, my wife will say to me, hey, Eric, while you're at the grocery store, could you grab some chocolate ice cream for dessert? Because that sounds delicious. Anyone ever experienced that in marriage? Yeah, and that's, that's really helpful because it's very clear. She's saying, this is exactly what I want you to do. That's, if we think about relationship with God, that's sort of like a command that God clearly gives us in the Bible, right? God says, love your neighbor. So if there's a situation where it seems to me like a good idea to treat someone around me with anything less than love, it's not a good idea because God already told me that. Or God tells me, don't lie. So if there's a situation where it seems like a good idea to lie, it's not a good idea to lie because God already told me, don't lie. When God gives us a clear command about something, that's not a wisdom issue, that's an obedience issue. So that's the first type of grocery trip where Justine just says, I want you to get me chocolate ice cream for dessert. There's another type of trip where I'm getting ready to go and as I'm about to open the door, I turn back and I say, hey Justine, do you want me to grab you something for dessert from the store while I'm there? And she'll say either yes or no, I think I've had a little bit too much sweets lately. Maybe we'll skip dessert today. And I ask because she hasn't already said something about it, but she gives a very clear answer. I don't need to analyze her words. I don't need to try to dig beneath the surface for what she really means because she just told me I, I do or I don't want dessert. And I think that's sort of like when we pray for an opportunity and God very clearly gives only one path to take. You know, when you apply for 10 universities and only one accepts you, I guess it's clear where you're going, right? Or when you ask the girl out and she says no, I guess you're very clearly not dating her right now, right? <laughs> but there's a third type of grocery store trip that I take. And I think that's actually probably the one that I take most often. It's the one where I walk out the door and Justine hasn't said anything about whether I should get dessert. And I haven't asked her about whether I should get dessert. And I just walk through the grocery store and maybe a dessert catches my eye. And I say to myself, oh, I have to get this for dessert because Justine's gonna love it. And I'm not thinking that because she already told me this is what I want you to do. I'm thinking that because I know her and I have a relationship with her and I understand how to see the world through her perspective a little bit. That's like wisdom. Because Justine didn't specifically say, this is what I want you to do, but because I know her, I anticipate her desires, even when she's not around to talk to you. And the better I get to know her, the better I get at anticipating her desires and understanding what she'd want in different situations in life. Even, I know you may be shocked that these exist, even in situations more important than whether or not to get dessert, right? The better I understand and know my wife, the better I'm gonna anticipate her desires when she's not around to talk to or to ask about it. And that's not only true in human relationships, it's true in our relationship with God. The more we get to know him, the more we'll be able to understand the way he sees the world, the more we'll be able to understand the choices he wants us to make, even when he hasn't specifically said anything on that issue. So when Hong Kong you and Chinese you both accept you and you need to decide which one to go to, there's no Bible verse that's gonna tell you the answer, no. But if you know God, he can direct your decision-making process. And the more closely you know him, the more aligned you're gonna be with his will as you make that process, as you make that decision and go through that process. And that's not only true for school, it's true for any wisdom decision in life. 
when you apply for two jobs and you get offered both of them and you don't know which one to take. Or when you have a new baby at home and, and you're trying to decide as the mom, do I keep working at my job and hire someone to look after the baby? Or do I leave my job for a while so I can stay home and look after the baby? Or do I try and find something in the middle, maybe work part-time? There's no Bible verse that's gonna tell you that answer. But the better you know God, the, the more you're gonna be aligned with his will as you think through and make these decisions. The more our lives are defined by the fear of the Lord that Proverbs talks about, the more we'll be able to know what God would have us do in these wisdom situations. And the more we'll make choices that honor him, that lead to us living skillfully. Just like the more deeply I know Justine, the more closely I'll be able to align with her on decisions I make, even when she's not around. And wisdom is all about making these, these good decisions aligned with God's will again and again and again in day-to-day life as we walk with God and get to know him more. So church, wisdom, it's all about living properly in day-to-day life and work and interactions with others. And it's something God wants to give us as we get to know him and spend time in his word. The fact that the Bible doesn't give us black and white answers to all of our day-to-day questions about life doesn't mean it's irrelevant. It means it's real. It's not a how-to guide. It's an invitation into a relationship where we learn to live our lives aware of the presence of God and the reality of the God who loves us and cares for us. And the more we accept that invitation, the more we get to know him, the more we'll be able to live with wisdom as we navigate day-to-day life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you give us this invitation to know you and to live life understanding the reality of who you are. God, I confess that so often I make choices that are not aimed at the pursuit of wisdom, but rather are choices for comfort or for laziness. And God, I pray that you would be at work in my heart and in all of our hearts to give us this desire, this hunger and thirst for wisdom. Pray that you would give us skill in living, that you would help us to align our lives around the reality of who you are, to know you and trust you so that we can live in a way that honors you in your world. In Jesus' name, amen.